have your Bibles, open up with me to Acts chapter 8. We're going to continue our study through the book of Acts. And if you are new, that's something you should learn a little bit about us. We just walk verse by verse through books of the Bible. And today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 8. In order to start off, I need to go uh, and just get an audience participation for this illustration. So can I get a little audience participation from you guys? Today's opposite day. And so I'm going to say something, and then you tell me the opposite of that thing. You ready? Left. Up. Good. Light. God. There we go. Angels. That's what we're talking about today. The title of the sermon is, What Does the Bible Say About Demons? We're going to be talking about the subject of demons, which is not something that is often talked about in the church, but it is something that the Bible talks about often. Throughout our study in the book of Acts, we've already encountered two demonic opportunities, demonic moments. There's going to be even several more as the series goes on. There's about a hundred references to demons in the four gospels. And then outside of Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John, and Acts, there's over 80 references to the demonic in the New Testament. And so we're in a series right now called The Church. We're learning from the first church some lessons that we can apply to our church so that way we can learn how to be the church. And one thing that the early church knew that I think many of us has forgotten is that this world is not all that we can see that there is an unseen realm that is also happening all around us. And for them, the demonic wasn't just supernatural. It was very normal for them. And I would say it's very normal for us, but many of us, we don't really know what to do about it. There's a theologian named Clinton Arnold. He's a scholar of the first rank. His commentary on the book of Ephesians is by far the best. And he writes this in his book, Three Crucial Questions on Spiritual Warfare. He says, and I put in your notes, a Christian will encounter demons in the same way that a gardener is going to encounter snakes. The early church, they encountered the demonic on a regular basis. And there's opportunities, there's moments, there's seasons where you and I, we need to know what to do when the devil shows up in our life as Well, if you're going to follow Jesus, then you will also encounter the demonic in your life. Now, many of us, we don't really understand this because here's the sermon that most of us are taught. God loves you, which is true. I know some of you woke up this morning and you're like, I'm going to go hear a sermon on God's love. And then you hear the demon sermon and you're like, oh my God. Really? The demon sermon? Like, if this is your first time, you're like, is this all this church talks about? No. Oftentimes, we talk about the love of God. Come back next week. It's going to be different, right? We say, God loves you, which is true. God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whomsoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. God loves you. And we hear that message and we're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love that message. And then you get saved, and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose in your life. And you're like, what happened? I thought God loved me. Oh, they forgot to tell you that Satan hates you. See, God loves you, but Satan 
hates you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Satan has a terrible plan for your life. God wants you to live. Satan comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. God, he wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Satan wants you to be filled with unclean, demonic spirits. God loves you and Satan hates you. And God wants you to go to heaven and Satan's gonna do everything he can to keep you from getting there. And so, yeah, you've heard the sermon about God loves you, but in God's love, he brought you here today so you can hear the sermon about how Satan hates you. And so we're gonna dive into this section of scripture and we're gonna see what the Bible says about demons. You guys excited today? Don't matter, we lock the doors. Um, <laughs> just joking, we're, we didn't do that. Here's what Acts 8 says. Now in those days, those who were scattered, they went about preaching the word. So we covered this in detail last week. Persecution arose in Jerusalem. The church is no longer able to gather, so they begin to scatter. And as they do, they fulfill the great commission from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so now the church is entering into new territory. They're beginning to take new ground for the kingdom of God. The church is growing. And then Philip shows up, and he begins to proclaim to them the Christ. Now, listen, here's who Philip is. Philip is just like you. He, he's not a pastor. He's not a priest. He's not a seminary professor. He's not an apostle. He's just on the serve team, just like you guys. He went to Next Steps. He got on a team, and now he's in the parking lot, or he's working in Redemption Kids, or he's on the production team. He's just a normal guy, all right? But he shows up, and he begins preaching, and it says, performing signs and wonders, and a great crowd gathers around them. And look what it says in verse 7. It says that, for unclean spirits, that's the Bible's word for demons, crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed and lame, they were healed. So there was much joy in this city. Are you familiar with what is known as the second law of thermodynamics? For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Well, you need to understand that for most things in your life, what is true physically is also true spiritually because there is the seen world and then there is the unseen world. There is what is natural and then there is what is, is supernatural. And what we see happening here is that as the church continues to grow, they have more opportunities, but they experience greater opposition. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. As the church begins to move forward, they're going to experience pushback from the kingdom, not of God, but the kingdom of darkness. For every opportunity, there is opposition. For every breakthrough, there is a battle. For every revival, there will be resistance because for every action, there is a reaction as well. And the church is taking ground and moving forward and people are getting saved and missionaries are being sent and churches are being planted and lives are being changed. The Holy Spirit shows up and then unclean spirits show up as well. Because you got to understand, this world is not all you see. There is another world that is happening behind the scenes that many of us are unaware of. And for every action, there's a reaction. For every revival, there is resistance. Here's the way 
my Nana taught me. New levels, new devils. Every time you take a step forward, there's going to be pushback. Every time there's opportunity, there's opposition. Every time there is a triumph, there's going to come a temptation. New levels bring about new devils. And you might be wondering, well, Byron, why are we talking about this? Like, didn't you preach this text last week? Like, why are you taking time this week? Here's the reason why. Because our church is growing. We're at four services. We're about to add a fifth service coming up. Don't tell anybody, but definitely don't tell our staff. They don't know yet. People are getting baptized. 38 baptisms. We're 100 baptisms so far this year. We're about to move into this new building and God is moving and so is the devil. And for every opportunity, there's opposition and the church, you need to know what to do when the devil shows up at the door. Not just in your life, but in our lives as the church together. What do we do when it comes to dealing with the demonic? Listen, some of you right now, you're like, but do you really believe this stuff? Like, isn't that so long ago? Wasn't that 2,000 years ago? Like, don't we? That's so outdated. Like, today we have science and we have reason. We have medication and doctors. Doesn't that explain everything? No. It explains most things, but not everything. Some people need a doctor. And some people need a great physician. Some people need a medical diagnosis. Some people need demonic deliverance. I, I talked to a, a licensed professional counselor in our church. The other week, whenever I preached on miracles, I talked to a doctor in our church. It was an ER doctor, infectious disease, actually. And he told me stories about how in the ER, or the operating room, he would pray for people and they were healed. Because I know there's skeptics. Some of y'all, y'all don't believe me. You're, you're skeptics. You're like, oh yeah, whatever. So I talked to a licensed professional counselor this week and she actually comes to our church for the last two years because after all of her years in practice, she began to experience things that she had no category to explain. And she would talk to her colleagues. She, she called the Catholic Church and they ignored her, and somehow she got my number. So she called me, and she said, y'all were the first people to believe me. And so she experienced the demonic supernatural realm. And I asked her, I spent an hour on the phone with her, and she was telling me stories, and I was like, would you like to give a quote? She said, yeah. She said, the majority of patients I see are just mentally ill. Many of them grew up in churches and were spiritually abused because they were continually just told, pray harder, pray harder. Well, no, they needed some medication and a diagnosis. And so that's what they got. But she said, there's some cases. I can't even begin to tell you because I can't explain it. And no amount of treatment or medication or diagnosis brought them any relief. But it was when they found faith and when someone laid hands on them and prayed for them, they were healed. And so I'm going to say some stuff in this message, and some of you are going to think I'm crazy. You're going to be like, Byron, really? Seriously? Some of you, you're going to be like, Byron, you didn't go far enough. Some of you, this is what C.S. Lewis says. 
C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, which you should read, he, he writes and he says that um, some people have an unhealthy interest in demons and then some people ignore them altogether. That's where some of you are at. Some of you are like, I love demons. Everything's about a demon. You're like, everything's demonic and spiritual warfare is my passion. And every, under every rock, there's a, there's a demon. Like you might've grew up in that church where you're like, oh, the coffee's hot. Oh, it's the coffee demon. Come to scold me. Or maybe you're like on your way to church and like you, you hopped a curb and you got a flat tire and you're like, it's the flat tire demon out there with screwdrivers and Michelins just poking the tires. Like, or maybe you need to learn to drive. Okay, not everything is a demon. Don't give them too much credit. But Satan would love it if you just ignored him altogether. C.S. Lewis says, it doesn't make a difference to the devil if you're a magician or if you're a materialist. He will still deceive you either way. Some of you give way too much credit, and some of you don't believe in it at all. And one of the greatest lies the devil ever told was that he didn't exist, or for you to give him too much glory and rob Jesus of his. Okay? So let me just add a preface before what I'm about to say. If you see a doctor, go to the doctor. If you take medicine, please take medicine. I see a doctor. I have a therapist. His name's Mark. I see him every Wednesday at 11 o'clock. There are some things that are mental, and then there are some things that are not. Because we live in a physical world, but we're surrounded by a supernatural one. So some things are mental, some things are spiritual. And we have to learn to discern and to tell which one's which. And this is increasingly important for us right now at Redemption. Why? Because new levels lead to new devils. So let me tell you a story. I'm very vulnerable. The most vulnerable. I've never shared this with y'all. In fact, I've only told it publicly one time, and it was to a group of pastors. Y'all know that I'm in therapy. I make no bones about that. If you need one, I'll hook you up, all right? But I never really told you why I do the things that I do. I work out. I run. I eat healthy-ish. Um, I practice the Sabbath. I rest. But those are things I've learned to cope with something that happened spiritually in my life. It's 2018. Our church had just got kicked out of Crockett Street. We opened our church in the bars downtown, right? And the bars closed, and so we found this space, but it was undeveloped. We had to build everything out ourselves, hang the sheetrock, all the ceilings. And meanwhile, I'm doing this. Um, I'm in college full-time. I went back to school to get a degree, and my wife just had her baby, Esther, and she came down with a sickness. It's, um, it took months to figure out what it was, but they came back and said it was diverticulitis. And she was bedridden for two months and she got down to about 80 pounds. And meanwhile, I'm trying to build out the church and the money stopped coming in and we had no money and we had no people and we had no church. So while I'd be up here working, I would start hearing noises and seeing shadows. And I was like, well, maybe it's just like the, the it's an old building, it's not finished. Maybe it's just the possums or whatever from the parking garage next door. And so one afternoon I was sitting here and it was on the Christmas break and I, I, was, I was working and all of a sudden something came over me, like a, like, a, like a weighted blanket. But it was spiritual and then a darkness consumed me 
And all I could hear was, you should kill yourself. Just kill yourself. Nobody loves you. The church would be better off without you. You're a failure. Your family would be better off. Ashley would be better off with somebody else. Your kids don't need you. You're a a failure. Kill yourself. Kill yourself for two hours. And I gave into it. And I had a plan. And I had planned right there and where our kids are having church right now, I planned to kill, kill myself. And I couldn't pray. I tried. You're like, just say the name of Jesus. I tried everything. It was stuck in my mouth. I couldn't get it out. So the only thing I knew to do was call my friend Travis. And Travis, I've been friends with him since I was in kindergarten. And and he is a spirit-filled believer. And I called him. I'm like, Travis, I need help. And I told him what was happening. He was at a Bible study with his church out in Austin. And they put me on speakerphone and they began to pray for me. And this girl, she, I've never met her before. I haven't seen Travis in years. He's never even been to our church. And here's, she stopped and she said, Byron, do you live in a two-story white house with blue shutters? I said, yes. She said, I'm having a vision right now of your home. And there is a demon on top of your house calling down a demonic attack against your family because he knows that he can't get your church and now he's trying to get your family. You need to leave, have the intercessors come, cleanse the house. And when you come back, I believe that the oppression will lift. And so that's what we did. And we left. And when we came back after the Christmas break, Ashley, she was healed. The depression lifted. The money came in. We finished the building. And here you are today. Why do, I, why do we spend time today on this? New levels, new devils. We're in another building campaign. We're taking territory for the kingdom of God and we're pushing back darkness. And I'll tell you what, the devil is not happy. And for every opportunity God gives, there will be spiritual opposition that happens. Are you praying for revival? Expect some resistance but we don't need to be afraid or live in fear. We do need to be alert and live by faith. So let's go back to the text. Let's see what the Bible says regarding the subject of, of, of demons. What do we, how do we deal with the demonic in our lives? Here's what I would say first. The first answer I'm going to give you is, are Satan and demons real? That's what some of you are thinking right now. You're like, Byron, seriously? You expect me to believe that? I mean, that's so outdated, right? I mean, today we have so many different things we can explain it away. Well, at Redemption, we are a Bible-believing church. Okay? The Bible is the highest rule and authority in our church. And the Bible is not an old book. The Bible is an eternal book. It's not a book that men wrote about God. It's a book that God wrote for us. This doesn't just tell us what happened. It tells us what happens. It's not just about who God was, for he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, for he is the Lord. He does not change. It tells us what happens. It doesn't just tell us a bunch of stories a long time ago. No, these stories are just as relevant for your life today as it was for them. 
And so when we turn to the pages of Scripture, what we recognize is that the demonic is more than supernatural. It's, it's very normal for them, which means it's going to be relevant for us. So does, are you saying you believe in Satan and demons? And I would say, well, I'll just believe what the Bible says. And here's what the Bible teaches. Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's what many of y'all think. Y'all are so carnal in your thinking. You think people are the enemy. You think whoever's running for president is your enemy. You, you think whoever votes differently is your enemy. You, you think that some, some, some army is your enemy or your neighbor is your enemy or some actor in Hollywood or some singer is your enemy or is trending on Twitter or Spotify. Listen, those people are not our enemies. People are not our enemies. It is what is happening behind them that is the enemy. He says, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but instead you wage war against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and this present darkness, and spiritual forces in heavenly places. Okay, I got a lot of verses I'm going to share for you today, but I want you to understand is that when we think the word angel and demon, we typically imagine what we've seen through uh, culture, right? The angel's got the wings, and the, the demon's got the little horns, and that's what we picture, Right? That's not the way the Bible presents it. In fact, in the Greek Septuagint, which is what a lot of this is translated off of, they didn't have a classification for unseen beings. And so they just used the word angelos, which was the messengers, and then dynami, which is what we call now demons. And here we recognize that there's a variety of different unseen demonic beings, rulers, powers, spiritual authorities, they're not all just demons, but they're all active in the unseen world. And they're all attacking. And he says, these are our enemies. The Bible speaks about this a lot. And here's the reason why. 2 Corinthians 2.11. So you're not outwitted by Satan, and you're not ignorant of his designs. Some of you, you're defeated, discouraged, because you're ignorant. You've given no attention to the, to the enemy. And that's why you're constantly living a life of defeat because you're ignorant to the devil's works and you're constantly discouraged and disappointed because you're like, I thought God loves me. You forgot that Satan hates you. So let me give you a brief origin story. I posted a link in our connect page. You can watch an intro to the unseen realm by Dr. Michael Heiser. It'll explain this in way better detail, but there's a cosmic war that happened in heaven. God created before the heavens and the earth, he created a spiritual family of the unseen. And in this, there was rebellion, three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, some call him Lucifer. I don't actually believe that would be his name because the Bible doesn't give his name. It gives multiple titles because the name has authority and he doesn't have any. And so Lucifer is what people come to know him today as the light bringer. And he rebelled because he wanted the glory of God for himself. And in that rebellion, a third of the heavenly beings came down to earth to wage war against God's physical family, us, mankind. Why? Because God is a father. And what's the best way to attack a dad? By coming after his kids. See, the devil knows he can't get the father, so he's going to go for the sons and the daughters. He knows he can't get heaven, so he's going to try to prevent heaven from earth, and he's going to try to keep you from going there. 
So this war has broken out. And there's actually multiple rebellions. There's not only the pre-incarnate rebellion, there's the Tower of Babel, there's the sons of gods in Genesis chapter six. Then you have what some say would be another one, which is at the incarnation of Christ. But there's battles been raging on all around us. And when people hear that, they could be like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? You just trust Jesus. You trust Jesus. Because devils are created, they are not creator. They're limited, they're finite. So God is all powerful, omnipotent. Satan's not omnipotent, he's limited. He's a devil on a leash. He's not all knowing, he doesn't know everything. And he's not omnipresent, he's not everywhere all the time. And so he is a created being. He is not the creator. So what do you do? You just put your faith in the creator. Because he's the one who protects and he's the one who provides and he's the one who defends for us. But many of us, we don't understand this. And because of it, we're losing a battle on a daily basis. Look, all the stuff that you read or see about unseen supernatural things, I want you to know they're very real. It's true. Tarot cards, yeah, that's real. Crystals, that's real. When you, when you look at witchcraft, Wicca, New Age, all that stuff's very real. When you look at astrology, you say, well, it's just stars. Well, did you know in the Bible, stars were actually heavenly beings? Yeah, there's power there. Yeah, there's power. And our generation right now, they're swept up, obsessed with it. You know why? Because they're looking for power in all the wrong places. It's a demonic power that's going to give them some sort of influence, but it, it doesn't give to them. Eventually, over time, it begins to rob from them. And people, y'all just give into this stuff all the time. You're like, oh, it's just a funny little TikTok video. No, that's real. And listen, if you don't know what you believe, You'll believe anything, and if you don't know the truth, you're going to fall for the lies. Like, if you don't know the truth of God's word, you're going to be blinded by the God of this world. You've got to know what God's word says to, to protect you, to guide you, to provide for you, to be able to trust and build your life and believe on those things. Because if you don't know what you believe, you're going to believe anything. And if you don't know the truth, then you're going to eventually fall for the lies. One of the reasons why our world is the way that it is is because you become desensitized to the supernatural. Like, is, is our world demonic? Listen, we swim in the demonic in the same way that a fish swims in the ocean and you don't even recognize you're wet anymore. It is happening all around us. Just turn on the TV, turn on the news, ask your kids on TikTok what they're watching and viewing. See what's happening and trending on YouTube right now. They just opened a, 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 a section in a university on Wiccan and witchcraft teaching spells in colleges. It's demonic. You see greed and idolatry. You see um, paganism. You see perversion parading around in the streets. And we just call it entertainment. We just call it politics and government. We just call it Hollywood. We spend $20 on Fridays and call it date night. The Bible calls it demonic. You're swimming in the demonic in the same way that a fish swims in the ocean. You don't even recognize it because you become so desensitized to it. Yeah. Satan and demon are very real. And many of us are asleep when God tells us to be awake. Yeah. The second thing is 
Well, why don't we see them like they were in the Bible? There's two ways that saying operates. There's overt and covert. Overt's just out in the public. That's kind of what we see here happening in Samaria. It's just out in the public. I'll talk more about the history of Samaria, but they're a pagan place. They're a half-breed Jew and a fallen pagan type of worship. Syncretism is mixed in with the Samaritans. And so it's just out in the public there. When I went to Greece, it was out in the public, right? Sun goes down, everybody's got their magic eyes, tarot cards out in the middle of the street, psychics, all that stuff, normal. Kensington, Philadelphia, I went there this summer. People are shooting up fentanyl in their necks. That's normal. Satan's just having a field day, having fun over there, and nobody cares. <laughs> even the, the mayor don't even care. He's like, just let them keep doing what they're doing, right? Because, because of lawlessness. But what about covert? Covert is like Osama bin Laden. You know, after 9-11, people are like, we're looking for him. Maybe he's hiding in a cave. No, he was in Pakistan chilling at the house. He was hidden in plain sight the entire time. That's demons. Here in America, you say, why don't we see him? I'd say, we, we, we do. But the reason that they're not as active today is because our civilization has become so darkened. And when the church shines the light, the darkness flees. Light always overcomes dark. Good always overcomes evil. And if you want to see the demonic, turn on the light. As the church begins to grow, as people start getting saved, as the Holy Spirit shows up, then demonic forces are going to show up as well. Because if you want to turn off the dark, you got to turn on the light. And as the light of Christ begins to shine and the church catches a fire, you're going to start seeing that there's more demonic activity that is happening around us. And I would say the reason that it is pervaded inside our country is because the church has grown cold. But when the church comes alive, you turn on the lights, you turn off the dark. And so the more our church grows, the more you're going to begin to see these things continue to happen. Let me tell you a couple of quick stories that we've seen in our church. Um, one, at the very beginning of our church, a guy was in a small group during prayer time, turned white, stiff as a board, eyes rolled in the back of his head, cold. They prayed over him, brought him out. And they didn't know what to do. I don't know if he got true deliverance, but it was enough for the evening. Another woman, she came to our church and she was saved out of the occult. And she had tarot cards and she had crystals and um, a lot of New Age Buddha and, and, and Hindu statues. And she came to ch church after she got saved and then she got baptized. And then when she went home, the statues started talking to her. She was like, what is this? And then she would break out in hot spots on her body. And she brought the next week, she brought the box of demon paraphernalia to church. And she said, Byron, you got to take this. And so I was like, all right. And I took it and I brought it home. And I was like, Ashley, you wouldn't believe what just happened. She said, where'd you put it? I was like, it's in my car. She's like, get rid of it. <laughs> I don't want this demon box in my house. It's the joy of being a pastor's wife. Come on. But there's also horrific things. Like one, one girl that we counseled, she, she was um, molested as a child and she had an incestuous relationship with her brother as a teenager and as a young adult. She would oftentimes black out at night and wake up in the bed of a man she'd never met having sex. She was so shamed. That's demonic. 
There was one person who they had an eating disorder, anorexia, and they actually named their eating disorder Anna, and they would pray to it as they would cut themselves. And they prayed to this demon and then laid hands, prayed over him. They began vomiting and multiple demons were cast out of him. And after that moment, God did more for them in one moment than a doctor could do for them in decades. And now they're in recovery. Are you saying all mental illness is demonic? No. Some are. And this is why the Bible tells us that there's a spiritual gift God gives to the church called the distinguishing between spirits. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can come on first Wednesdays and hear us teach through the spiritual gifts. And there's one, because you need to know right from wrong, truth from lies, seen versus unseen. Holy Spirit, unclean spirits. And God gives a gift to be able to help the church figure out between the two. And so what I'm trying to introduce to you is that there is a world outside of our world that we need to recognize. Third question is this. All right, Byron, can Christians be demon-possessed? Like, is there anything I need to worry about? Like, do I need to worry about this? Now, the answer depends on how you define the word possessed. Now, if you are saying, Byron, as a Christian, can I be possessed in terms of ownership? Can you be owned by a demon? The answer is no. You can't. Here's what the Bible says. Got some verses for you. Titus 2.14. Who gave himself to redeem us from the lawlessness, purify himself as a people of his own what? Possession. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own what? Romans 1.6. You are called to belong to Christ Jesus. Can a Christian be owned by a demon? Can a Christian belong to a demon? No. Interestingly, though, that's not the word the Bible uses. The Bible doesn't use the word possessed. Here's the word the Bible actually uses. It's dynamitsmai, which means demonized or to have a demon. It's an adjective. It's, it's not a noun. It's not a verb. It's an adjective, which means it is describing a quality or an influence on your life, to have. Like right now, I have a cold, but I don't own it. And it doesn't own me, but it is influencing me. It's clouding my thinking. It's disrupting my ability to speak properly. And you might even recognize it yourself on my life, right? But it doesn't own me and I don't own it. I want to get rid of it. (laughs) That's the way the Bible refers to demonization. It's an influence. Can a Christian be influenced by the demonic? Yeah. Can a, can a Christian be driven by demonic activity? Yes. We have cases in the scriptures. Peter was rebuked by Jesus and he said, get behind me, Satan. His thinking was demonized. And Ananias and Sapphira, we've already studied in the book of Acts. Peter says, why has Satan filled your heart? Their decisions were influenced by demons. And even Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he writes that a messenger of Satan was given as a thorn in his flesh to harass him. Can Christians be harassed by demons? Yes. Some of you are like, really? Oh, that explains so much. Because you've given opportunity for demonic activity that happens in your life. Here's what Jesus says. 
Jesus says it like this. He says, your life is a house. Here's the illustration he gives. He says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder the goods unless he first binds the strong man. Here's the idea. Jesus is stronger than Satan. Satan owns your house. Before you're a Christian, you're like, as a non-Christian, can I be demon-possessed? Listen, Satan already owns your house. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses. You're a slave to sin. Like, yeah, you're already demonized. You know why? Because the God of this age has blinded you from seeing the light. So you're not internally indwelt by a demon, but at the same time, you are being demonized in that you are mesmerized to not believe in the gospel. Jesus shows up, kicks the devil out, and the Holy Spirit fills your house. Who owns the deed of a Christian's house? Jesus does. He owns the deed. It's his house. But you can let the devil sleep on your couch. Your life is a house. How many of you would go out of town and leave your door unlocked for a, time, a week? Well, that's what many of you do in your spiritual life is you leave the door to your house open and anything else can just come on in. Like, why are you throwing parties and letting devils crash on your couch? You gotta get up and evict them. Lock the door, shut the windows, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. And you got to understand is that sin is not just the breaking of a law, it's the opening of a door. Why do you think that God gives us laws? It's not for your prison. It's not like God doesn't want you to have any fun, so don't sin and live a boring life. That's not why God says, hey, don't mess with the occult. Don't mess with perversion and sex. And don't, don't mess with supernatural portals you have no business dealing with. Don't, don't get involved in that. You know why? It's not just because it's a sin of a breaking of a law, it's opening a door. It's for your protection from the demonic. And when you live in habitual sin, you're opening spiritual doors in your life that give the devil permission to torment you. You gotta shut the doors. Lock the doors. And throw a Holy Ghost party up in there and get them devils out, right? Jesus owns the house, but don't let the devil sleep on your couch. That's also a word for your boyfriend probably too, right? All right, number four. How do Christians open doors to the demonic? You're like, all right, Byron, I'm not possessed, but I do feel like this is explaining some activity in my life. So what are some ways that Christians open the door to demonic? Number one, habitual sin. Constant, continual, habitual, unrepentant. I don't care what God says. I'm gonna do it anyway, sin. You're like, I'm a Christian, but God... This one is, I want you out of this. It's habitual sin and it's an open door. Here's what 1 Timothy writes. He says that some people will give over to the doctrine of demons. You're gonna listen to the demons and then at the end of the day, it becomes a seared conscience. You are so callous to the things of the Lord, you no longer hear the Holy Spirit now. You just don't care. What is this? This is adultery and, and you know, greed and idolatry, pornography. It says you live in with your girlfriend and, and repeatedly, continually having sex. And at first when you were a Christian, it didn't bother you, but you've been doing it so long. Now, you, now, it, now it doesn't even matter because you think, well, it's not that big of a deal. Oh yeah, it's a big deal because it opens a door. The second thing is traumatic experiences. Here's what First John says. First John says, for God did not give us, or, for God does not give us a spirit of fear, but pure and perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. 
And then First Timothy says, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Sometimes the traumatic experience in childhood or maybe something that you experience elsewhere in your life, it can create an irrational fear. Like fear is not always demonic. Like sometimes it's good to be afraid because it keeps you alive. You're like, I'm afraid of fire. I'm not going to jump in one, right? I'm afraid of heights. I'm not going to jump off a building, right? I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of landing um, (laughs) off of very high heights. Fear keeps you alive. But there's irrational fears that you might have experienced as an act of trauma that is killing you. And you've been going to counseling. It's not working. Well, maybe you can't counsel out what God has told you to cast out. There is a demonic fear that plagues people. Number three, believing lies. This was what I struggled with, believing lies. Jesus says in John 8, he says, the devil is a liar. He is the father of lies and he's been lying since the beginning. That's his native language. Like as spirit-filled believers, like, like maybe you don't and that's, that's fine, but, but we believe it's operational today. I speak in tongues, the devil speaks in lies. How do you know the devil's lying to you? If his lips are moving, he's lying. He's the father of lies. You're pathetic. You're weak. Nobody loves you. You're a a failure. You will never amount. You're just like your mom. Would you talk to you like that? If somebody was following you around talking to you like that, you would call the cops because you recognize you're being harassed but yet the devil's been doing it to you for years and you thought it was just negative self-talk. How do you know the difference between the Holy Spirit and a demon or me? Well, when you talk to yourself, what do you say? You're like, man, I need to go to the grocery store. I need to do the dishes. I got a lot to do today. When the devil talks to you, he doesn't say, I need to. He says, you need to. When you start hearing second person, that's unseen. Right. God speaks truth. You're the beloved. I died for you. You are my daughter. I love you. The devil speaks lies. You're pathetic. You're worthless, right? So what do you do? Recognize truth. Recognize lies. Stop believing the lies. Number four, exposure to unholy things. There's a story in Mark about a man who lived among the tombs, obsessed with death. So some people are obsessed with death. It's like, I want to watch every horror movie. I want to see every scary show. The scarier, the better. And remember when I was growing up, it was like slasher films. And today it's all paranormal. Because this demonic obsession has led to a demonic oppression and some possession because they have given themselves over to unholy things. You're just, you're fascinated by the devil and you give them ground in your life. Number five, withholding forgiveness. Here's what it says in Ephesians. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because then you're going to give the opportunity to the devil. That's interesting. Opportunity. Opportunity for what? Opportunity to attack you. That word opportunity is an unfortunate translation. In the Greek, it's actually a word tapon, which means an inhabitable space. It's like a cave. That living in bitterness and unforgiveness, you allow a demon to inhabit a space inside of your life. Have you ever seen a really bitter, unforgiving person? Aren't they tormented? You know why? Because they are. 
Unforgiveness will open the door to demonic in your life. Number six, false teachings. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So some of y'all are like, I like to go to church on Sunday. I like to go to the Buddhist temple on Tuesday. I like to read my astrology and my, on, on Wednesday and get a little reading on Thursday and take some sash and clean up my house and pray with my crystals. You know what? It's demonic. All of it is. Well, I like a little Buddha and a little Hindu. I like mixing all the religions together. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one. Not through Buddha, not through Muhammad, not through Allah, not through any other religion can you find salvation but through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In the Bible, when it talks about the gods of the Old Testament, Asheroth, Molech, Baal, you read it and you're like, oh, those are just like idols. They're just like, like people just built statues and they were so dumb and primitive, right? No, the actual word used in the Aramaic, or I'm sorry, in the Hebrew is Elohim. Elohim is God. It's just, it's just a term. It's a title. Now, there is Elo, Elohim Yahweh. That's the God of Israel. That's the God of the Bible. That's the one true God, the creator God. Do not have any other gods before me, which indicates there are other gods. Yeah. Elohim, they're demonic. They're fallen beings. Supernatural powers, principalities, and rulers in heavenly places. So Baal, Asheroth, demons. But they just go by different names today. But they're still demons. Behind every religion besides Christianity, it's demonic. Here's what Paul says in Galatians. If an angel shows up and preaches a gospel that is different than the one I've presented to you, let them be accursed. How has Islam started? An angel showed up. How has Mormonism started? An angel showed up. How does, how does New Age paganism happen? The universe, the light being, guided me into my manifest destiny. It's demons. And I'm going to say a little something that I think might be across the line for some of you, but I think you need to hear it. Is yoga? You got to understand the word yoga means to yoke, to be united. United with what? Hindu gods. You say, but it's stretching. Listen, I stretch, right? I run 500 plus miles a year. I work out five times a week. Like I stretch. I've never pulled a hamstring or anything. Like I like stretching, right? But you know what? I'm not going to go to some new age hippie with dreadlocks as she opens up my chakra. <laughs> what is all of that? That's it's demonic. No problem with stretching. Stream it on YouTube and do it at home. But you're going in to a new age place, practicing new age things, and allowing some new age priestess to lay hands on you. You, you got to be smarter than that. You got to understand that behind everything, it's all more spiritual than you think it is. And so am I anti-stretching? 
No, please stretch. It's good for you, right? But just don't let some demonized lady with the dreadlocks open your chakra. Y'all laugh, but some of y'all are offended by me saying this. You know why? Because you're already demonized. Anytime someone post, a Christian posts about yoga, just watch. They're going to clip this and put it on Instagram. I'm going to get 100 comments about how I'm crazy. You know why? Because people love defending their gods. Just saying. Number seven, mind-altering drugs. Here's another one for you. Do you know the word pharmacy is the word pharmakeia? And in the Bible, it's translated as sorcery. Some of y'all think you're escaping. No, you're just entering into a new reality. Mind-altering drugs. I mean, listen, we have pharmacists in our church. And they do mood-stabilizing drugs. Mind-altering drugs. Here's what First Peter says. The devil goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. What did he say right before that? Be sober-minded. You're self-medicating. You're opening the door to the demonic. You don't need it. You need the joy that comes from the Lord and the healing that comes from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Number eight, family of origins. In paganism and in witchcraft, it's passed down generationally. But even in our own lives, my mom was an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic, and they're going to be an alcoholic, and my daddy was abused, and then I was abused, and now I abuse my kids, and it's passed down generation to generation until it reaches you, and after this sermon, it's broken. In Jesus' name. And then lastly, number nine, did you know that living in God's will will also open a door? But it's not a demonic door. It's a door of opportunity. Living in God's will. Like like we see Philip. What is Philip doing? He's going to Samaria and demons show up. Just because a demon shows up doesn't mean you're in sin. Sometimes it means you're in God's will. Sometimes it's not an open door from the devil. Sometimes it's an open door by the Spirit to help and to preach and to declare the goodness and the love of God to a lost and dying world. New levels, new devils. Sometimes the opposition means that God's given you an opportunity. And sometimes the battle means a breakthrough is about to come around. So you got to go home and figure out with your small group or maybe with your spouse. But you got to figure out which one of these explains my life. Like some of you right now, you're like, oh my God. This, this has opened my eyes to so many things, right? Because you're finally awake. Say, so, what, what, what do I do next? Some people, you think this, this is the next thing, right? Here's the next thing. It says, doesn't talking about demons bring more demons in my life? Doesn't talking about spiritual warfare open me up to spiritual warfare? And you know what? Yes, it does. But what's the alternative? Just 
keep feeling defeated, to stay discouraged, just be a half-hearted, weak-willed, lawn chair Christian that anytime you get pushed, you just fold and collapse? What, what is it? Just I'm gonna get to heaven by the skin of my teeth and never accomplish anything for the kingdom and I might get there and God will spew me out of his mouth on judgment day because I was neither hot nor cold because I was afraid. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired and being pushed around by some bully? Are you just tired of feeling discouraged and oppressed and overwhelmed and not doing anything of great value for God? Like, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then you gotta fight because you're already in a battle. And you need to go home and figure out which one of these best fits your life. And here's where we are, because you will never defeat what you do not define. But the moment you define it, it loses its power over you because Satan is a defeated foe. You already have the victory through Jesus Christ. Look what Paul writes here. He says this, he says, in Romans 8, 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor powers to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us. Listen, demons are created. They're a part of creation. They are not the creator, and they will not separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, you are more than a conqueror. You are not a victim. You are a victor in Jesus' name, and you don't fight for victory. You fight from a position of victory because of Jesus. You have been victorious. And so start fighting. So how do I do that? Last thing, number five. Number one, confess. Confess your sins. Jesus, here's the list. Here's my sin. I confess my sin. And the moment you name it is the moment it begins to lose power in your life. Just like when I called my friend, I confessed. And what happens? He was exposed. The enemy was exposed. You know, funny thing, I didn't actually tell you the end of that story. Let me tell you how the story ended. So after, after the grand opening of the church, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Tell the truth, shame the devil. Here's what happened. Church had its grand opening. Me and my wife started a small group. First night, a small group, a family, brand new to our church, never even really met them before. As she was leaving, she, she turned to me. She said, Byron, I know I'm new to the church. Like some of y'all are new to the church. You're like, what is this church? You're like, believe in this stuff? She said, do you believe in the supernatural? I said, actually, yes, I do. She said, okay. Well, I didn't know if I should tell you this or not. There's an angel on top of your house right now protecting you and your family. That's the God we serve. That's what God does. It's the war in the unseen so you can win the war in the world that you do. Confess. Number two, cancel. Say, I break it saying you have no rights, you have no access, you have no ability, I 
cancel in Jesus' name. And then commit. You commit yourself to following Jesus. Say, the old is gone, the new has come. I've repented. What is repent? To turn. To start new. Say, I'm committed to following after Jesus. And then number, or cleanse. Number three, here's what we would say. In the old school, we would say this. I plead the blood of Jesus. That's what we would say. Because he cleanses us from all our rights. You know what that means? That means you're cleansed. Instead of being defiled, you've been cleansed. You've been made new. You've been made whole. The garments of shame have been removed and garments of praise have been placed upon you. You've been cleansed by his stripes. We are healed. Commit. And the number five, you do what the Samaritans did when Philip showed up. What does it say? There was much joy in that city because you've been free. You've been healed. You've been delivered so you can celebrate. 1865. That was the year a battleship showed up on the Gulf of Galveston. Two years before that, the North defeated the South in the Gettysburg War battle. The war had ended, but nobody told the slaves in Galveston until a boat showed up with 2,000 soldiers and they declared liberty to the captives. June 19th, 1865 is now known as Juneteenth. It's a day of celebration that the slaves have been set free. That's the church. That's you and that's me, that's redemption. We are not a cruise ship, we are a battleship. And we have been called here to Beaumont, Texas to see people delivered, to see people's lives changed, to see people be set free. We are not a cruise ship, we are a battleship. God did not call us just to make some margaritas. He wants us to make some war. So get your flip-flops up and put your boots on because it's a battle and God is delivering and healing and saving and setting the captives free. Listen, here's the message. You are more than just forgiven, you're free. You're free. Yes, God loves you, but he loves you so much. He sets you free. You're free from sin. You're free from slavery. You're free from the enemy. You're free from the things that have held you down. And you're free to follow after him. So many Christians, you know that you've been forgiven, but you're not walking in freedom. I'm here to tell you today, you're free. In Jesus' name, you're free. He has canceled the rights of the enemy over your life. He has resurrected from the grave. And now he wants you to walk in newness and freedom. You've been forgiven, but you've also been set free. Can we get an amen? Somebody, come on. Isn't this some great news? Praise Jesus. Give him a shout of praise today. Let's go.